This is working the Beat. It is Wednesday, April 14, 2021. I'm Kevin Cooney. Thanks for joining us. Busy show today is uh, we have our one show for the week. Um, I have gone back to work. Uh, so part of the reason that uh, everything is kind of ground to a halt here is because I am um, back, you know, working the jobs. I'm back at teaching and I'm back at... Uh, Back doing some freelance stuff uh, for different people. So um, I'm back to the real jobs. This one, I'm, we're going to try to get two in occasionally, but uh, at least for the time being, it's going to be once a week. Probably Wednesdays because Wednesdays actually are the uh, the day that works best with my schedule. So just wanted to give you that heads up right off the top. Uh, Mr. Kern will join me in a few minutes, and we will be joined by Zach Berman. From The Athletic, one of the fine Eagles writers at that publication, along with Bo Wolf and uh, uh, Shil Kapadia this week, um, with the story of the week. Um, and I don't think it's a surprise to anybody who's heard this podcast or you know, when we had Jeff McLean on and we talked about the influence that Jeff Lurie has had, but I think it's been p- painted out in much more detail. Uh the internal struggles within the Eagles. And uh, I thought that their organiz- uh, their piece in The Athletic this week, if you haven't read it, please go and do so, um, is excellent. It's detailed. It gets into the analytics aspect of it, Howie Roseman's, car- uh, Howie Roseman's um, uh, the way Howie Roseman's now approaching the job is he kind of going back to the old Howie days, which got him in trouble before, the worst traits of his attitude, the best traits of him, uh, all that, uh, whether the scouting department's being heard. We'll talk to Zach about all that um, in a few minutes here uh, as we look towards that. We'll also get into the draft, which is about two-plus weeks away in Cleveland. Eagles will be selecting at the moment 12th. Wouldn't be surprised if they moved up. Wouldn't be surprised if they moved down. I think they realize that they have a uh, big overhaul up ahead. Uh, uh, you know, I think the question is going to be, will they go wide receiver at 12 if one of them's there? Um, or will they even go defensively? I mean, you know, if Micah Parsons there at 12, it's going to be, I, I know they haven't drafted a linebacker since Jerry Robinson. But boy... <laughs> Can you imagine if they passed on Micah Parsons and he turns out to be the next, I don't want to say Ray Lewis, but, you know, dominant inside linebacker. What in this town that reaction is going to be? I mean, whew, that would be tough. Passing on a Penn State kid, passing on somebody I think everybody knows what he can do. Um, that will be real tough. So we'll get into Zach about that. Then we'll talk Phillies and Sixers. Next week, I, I, I want to talk at some point here about the flyers because you know i i saw them in person on saturday and they beat boston and they got with him four and boston was going to have boston was going to have their um uh you know the, their problems going up against washington on sunday night flyers were going to have the sabers and you're thinking all right here we go you know game on and then they've just come out and laid two eggs you know one against the sabers on sunday and then that thing last night that six one disaster um, that's not good. Um, Sixers are playing Brooklyn on Wednesday before we ta- we're taping this beforehand. It doesn't matter. Brooklyn's not playing, but Durant's not playing. Harden's not playing. Kyrie is a game time decision. So, 
Uh, and by the way, that's a problem for the NBA. I mean, this is a game that could get them significant interest going forward. And, um, you know, having having the other team basically wave the white flag before you even get in the arena is a problem for the league. And I'm sure Mike and I will talk about that at some point. It's not a new problem, but it's just a problem. Um, so it's, uh, it's a busy day. And, uh, yeah, we'll get to the Phillies because th- th- that center field situation is a disgrace. It is just awful. Um, I don't know. I know who they should get, and it may not be available right now, but I think it'll be available at the trade deadline. That's Toronto's Randall Grichik. Um, the reason that Grichik will be available is because of the fact that uh, you know, the Blue Jays have Drew Springer. Now, as we were record, as I was recording, even this open before we got in the mic and and Zach, um, the Phillies announced that uh, Mickey Moniak has been called up. And Adam Hazley has left the team for personal reasons uh, and been placed on the reserve list, which is not uh, good news. Uh, you know, let's hope everything with Adam is is okay. Um, but obviously, there's a uh, there, there's an issue there um, that's not good for the Phillies, and the Phillies are obviously looking at you know other options at this point. It's it's pretty clear. So. Um, you know, again, they have to make a move in center because I'm not sure they have anything in-house that'll be the long-term answer uh, for whatever uh, you believe that they can do. So that's uh, this, that's the story for now. Uh, once again, thanks for joining us. And when we come back, it'll be Zach Berman uh, to talk Eagles, the chaos with the Eagles, and everything else involving uh, the sports, uh, the city's most franchise or the best most celebrated franchise that's next we're going to be continues right after this I'll say one thing about the Philadelphia Eagles. They're never boring. Even when they're bad and, and they're in complete chaos, they're never boring. And uh great story this week uh, came out Monday on the Athletics website. Uh, Bo Wolf, Shio Kapadia, and our buddy Zach Berman uh, dealing and, and the, the subject title, Paranoia, Mismanagement, and Office Politics Inside the Eagles' Downfall Under Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman. And joining us now to discuss this, Maybe we'll throw a draft question in because why not? Is our former uh, Mike's former colleague at the Daily News and now at the Athletic Corps of the Eagle Beat Writers? It's Zach Berman. Zach, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. It's always good to come on with you guys. Thank you very much. And uh, I, I, I guess the first question I have, and I've asked this of of your former partner Jeff McLean when he was on a couple months ago, is you know Jeff Lurie's getting to that age where most people start stepping back. You know, and, and, and retreating from control and day to day and getting so involved. And it seems like now he's getting more hands on than he ever has at any time in his Eagles ownership tenure. Is there a sense why now it's happening? Is it just because they won the Super Bowl? That's an interesting way of framing it. Uh, certainly, I, I think the Super Bowl emboldened a lot of people in that building, uh, Jeffrey included. 
but I, I, I would identify it more after the Chip Kelly era, right? You know, I, I, I think in 2015, um, the organization got away from, from Jeffrey a bit. Uh, and, and, and that when they kind of reset in 2016, there was a, a different structure in place. Obviously, Howie Roseman had more power than he ever had before in terms of uh, roster control and and uh, and just the overall uh, front office structure. And then the, uh, two years into that, they win a Super Bowl, right? So there were uh, there are a lot of people in that building, as I said, who were emboldened by that. And I I think just with with the way the league is trending, with the way the organization has 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 trending, and um, with the influx of of data and, and, and the way they can use that, that is a, it's an inclination that, that Jeffrey Lurie leans toward. And I, I think he wants that to inform their decisions more than ever before. Mike. Yeah, Zach, I got two to start. One is a quick one, I guess. I'm assuming that under Andy, nothing close to this happened because you had Andy and you had Joe Banner for a long time. And I'm assuming that, that none of this, what you guys wrote about, was even close in the Andy area. Is that a fair assumption? Based on my reporting, yes. I mean that it was it was different under Andy. Now I I only covered the last year of Andy, mm-hmm. um, so everything I'm going off there is 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 based on my reporting uh, ten years later. But right. as as far as as um, some there of, weren't any there weren't Tuesday meetings with Andy. From my understanding, no that that, <laughs> that did not occur under Andy. Okay, now. Let me ask you this, Zach. There was a lot of things in that story, in Jeff's story, a couple months, you know, that fans might look at and go, oh, my God. Was there anything that massively surprised you guys, you know, after all this digging that, that was going on and you write this story, you know, because there's a couple of things that stuck out to me, but was there anything where you guys went, oh, my God, that really happened? Or, or did yeah, you that- kind of, oh, okay. Well, there's there's things that that you hear covering the team, right? But what what jumps out to me is is this organization has used collaboration as like a buzzword really for the past five years. And then when you you start reporting and you start digging, you start asking around, and and, and you find out that uh, the lack of collaboration is is something that is is very evident within well, the. Well, there's eight general managers in the building, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but 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 really, you know, they the the different departments there are rifts within departments there uh is there's a lack of transparency as as far as how decisions are made, who's the one making the decision. And I, I'm I'm not naive to think that you're you're gonna find unanimous decisions uh, with you know, whether it's a draft, a free agency, but what you want is you want organizational decisions, right? You uh, you want to spend months or weeks meeting, going over all these players, assembling a board, having a plan, and sticking to that plan. It shouldn't be, well, this guy is the coach's guy, and this guy is the scouting guy, and this guy is the analytics guy, and this guy is the owner's guy. It needs to be organizational decisions. So I, I think that's what jumped out to me is is the lack of that. Let me, let me take you back to before the 2017 season where, you know, the belief is, and you guys wrote about this, that they have an interview with Jim Schwartz because they're planning on the assumption that they may have to get rid of Doug Peterson pretty early in that year if they get off to a bad start. Why did they sour on Peterson so much? Was it because he was not going to be a shrinking violet? Like he stepped in last year when they won, or that that year before 
when they went to fire Frank Reich. And he stepped in, obviously, later on for assistant coaches. Was there a realization that this guy is not going to be kind of a foot soldier to everything we want to do here? Well, so as as far as that that 2017 meeting with Schwartz, I I just want to make sure that 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 we're clear in, in our reporting. Okay. That was exception in the building. Um, it, I we don't know the contents of, sure. of, of 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 that meeting, but but certainly it's it's, it's fair. It's to been say speculated that, as that it, this was linked in in some it, way. Exactly, and I, I I do think after the 2016 season, it's accurate to say that the front office wanted more from that offense and. And even if you look at when they hired Doug Peterson, um, Doug Peterson was was not necessarily the first choice. And that coaching staff that he put together, a lot of it was was influenced, frankly, by the front office, or some of it was influenced by the front office. And 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 so I I think that there was a degree of hand holding, from lack of a better term, from the start. Uh, and they went seven and nine in in 2016. But like I said, I I do think that they wanted more from that offense. And at the time, they were uh, like incredibly bullish on Carson Wentz, and they wanted to do everything they could to support Carson Wentz's is his trajectory as a quarterback. And so I I think that was was kind of instrumental in in the front office's decisions. Zach, so, so the one of the most troubling things, the two most troubling things to me is the guy from Harvard. Al- we can get into that later. Al Cal. How can you how can you as an owner go to Lambeau in week four of I guess it was the 2018 season, if I'm trying to remember my, 19. my yeah, 2019. Yep. Okay. Or okay. They win the game when, when they weren't supposed to, probably, you know, coming off the Falcons game, I guess the week before that or whatever. They win the game and the owner isn't happy. Because you didn't win it by throwing the ball more. And then as Kevin has brought up there, then you go to Buffalo later on in 25 mile an hour wins and a similar thing kind of happened. How is that even pot? Like that to me shows me that Jeffrey isn't playing with a sound mind. I, I'm, I just don't know. You know, I'm not saying the owner has to win and congratulate him, doesn't he, for running against the worst running defense in the NFL? Yeah. So I think that, that, that this might be an example of, of, of how you know, like, like two different sides might have different interpretations of a conversation. Right. And, you know, in that, um, I, I think that, uh, from management side, they can look at it. Like we want to go through every decision, find out why you did X, find out why you did Y, because this is, you know, their version of standard practice. And then I, I think from like the coaching side of it, they can look at it. It is really hard to win games in the NFL, right? (laughs) Any, you know, that, that if, if this is what it takes to win on Sunday, then this is what it takes. And it, or on Thursday night, whatever it may be. So I think in that, Lambo. Yeah. So I, I think that might be an example where, where like the intent and the, in the interpretation uh, might not be aligned, but the reality is this, when you have a head coach, uh, you want, um, you want to empower that head coach. You want him to feel empowered, whether it's with game plan decisions, whether it's with with assembling a staff. And obviously, you're going to get input from your bosses. But that being said, you 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 want people in the building to feel empowered. And I think that was an example how, how at least on one side they didn't. And Zach, if they had run the ball and lost thirty four to twenty seven, let, let's just say, and mm-hmm. then they went into the hey, I think you ran the ball too much. You know, maybe okay, I, I maybe I get that. I might still might. But they won the game. Yeah. I, I, that is the objective when you go out onto the field. 
you know, it wasn't like you were a 21-point favorite and one by three. It, it, that just seems to me that when you hear things like that, it really makes whatever you think of Doug, it makes him a sympathetic figure. Well, and, and the quote that's used in the story is they treated him like a baby. This is a Peterson was yeah. being down by the constant second guessing. They treated him like a baby. When did Doug get tired of all this? Is there any idea? Like, is there a is there a specific point where it's like that's it? I've I've had it. <laughs> well, I I can't I can't speak for Doug, but um, I mean I mean based on what our reporting seems to be is is that. This past January, I, I I think he had it right. You know, yeah, and I, right. I I think with with the coaching staff component of it, I I I think that uh, you know, in at the end of the 2019 season, Doug intended to keep uh, Carson Walsh and Mike Rowe. And by the way, uh, you might look at that and, and and say that's not the right decision, right? The wide receivers right. did not develop well. The offense um, was not good enough. Uh, but then you know. What did Doug do in terms of changing it? And then I, I do think this past offseason, uh, after the season, if if Doug was willing to make more changes or, or more dramatic changes with his coaching staff, the conversation might be different and his employment status might be different. I, I, I don't know that for a fact, but I do think that the the um, the view of the staff and, and the vision for the staff uh, was something that that uh, there was a clear difference there, which leads to the question. And, and obviously, you've been through a coaching search, and you hired Nick Sirianni. But but we know how this league works. It's a lot. There's a lot of whisper campaign in this league. A lot of guys mm-hmm. talk to other guys in other organizations. Talk about how are the Eagles perceived? Do you think around the NFL right now? <laughs> well, it's a it's a fair question. And I thought a lot about this, and I, I tried to be fair in assessing it. And I, I guess I would say, uh, coming off the 2015 season, the same type of conversations were out there, right? At the end of, you know, when, when with Chip and Howie, then Howie gets put back in place. And and then they figured it out in two years. But 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 I, I do think it's, it's fair to say around the league, you know, there's a perception that, that this is a coaching job where, you need to take management's input, and whether that's in game plan decisions, whether that's in roster decisions, what you know, um, a, a lot of different things within the organization that that they, you are uh, there's there's not going to be that barrier between the coach and the front office. Like right. you you're, you're you very much need to integrate um, different I, I, ideas that they might have for you because this almost sounds like Jonesian, like Daniel Snyder stuff, like. Stuff that gets organizations and, and, and tires people out. Now, Jerry overcomes it because Jerry pays a lot of money to the people he brings in. But, I mean, it could tire people out and make it real difficult to get quality people in your building. I I see your point there. I, I think all, all three of them are different. Like, Jerry Jones, if he's on the side of the scale where he has final say over every roster decision, right? And then you have Daniel Snyder, and you've heard – the story I think Jay Gruden shared that uh, Snyder comes off the yacht and says, "Pick this quarterback." Right. Yeah. Uh, a matter of fact, people, a lot of people we we, we speak to in this story uh, say to us like they they like that Jeffrey's passionate that and that Jeffrey cares and that he's he's in the draft meetings and he's he's watching film himself and and he's uh, he's asking questions and he's informed on, on these decisions now. The question is, how far do you take it? Are, are you tipping the scale in a certain direction? And when you do tip that scale, whose input are you taking? I, I think that can become an issue. Uh, but I, I don't want it to be interpreted like 
the people in the building view Jeffrey as a hindrance. I just think that there's ambiguity as, as far as how decisions are made. And, and in fairness, I'm not saying people in that building now. I'm worried. Yeah. I'm thinking at some point you may have to go outside that building again. And sure, that could sure. and that could become a problem for the organization moving forward. Potentially so, yeah. but uh, you know the the thing that I've 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 learned covering this team and this league is that there are only thirty two of these jobs. And right? people take them, and that and, that, uh, and the other thing too is 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 Jeffrey Lurie uh, for for whatever criticisms one might have of him, he pays his coaches, um, he he invests in in you know the infrastructure around them. Uh, so I do think this is a desirable job from that perspective. That being said, this is the second consecutive search where they didn't necessarily land like the hot coaching candidate. And, and you don't have to land the hot coaching candidate, but Nick Sirianni didn't interview anywhere else this year. Yeah. Doug Peterson didn't interview anywhere else in 2016. Um, now, uh, uh, Peterson was the last coach standing in 16, but but when you just look at it from, from, uh, from the outset, yeah, when you are making these decisions, these are things that people are considering. Mike? Zach, so if, if you're the Eagles fan base right now, Mm-hmm. And the draft's like two weeks away. How do you view all this now? I mean, so the Eagles, whatever they do on draft day, whoever they take, if they move up, move back, who the hell knows what they're going to do. But how do people judge us now when we've had guys, like the last three drafts have been mostly putrid, okay? Yeah. We're not sure yeah. on a couple of guys yet. But for the most part, they haven't been real good, which is why they're kind of in the bind or helps them be in the bind they are. So – are people going to sit there after the draft and go, well, man, was that Jeffrey's pick? Was that Howie's pick? Was that the guy from Harvard's pick? Was it? You know what I'm saying? There, there's just so much now that I think we used to just blame Howie, which was fine. He, you know, he's the general manager. But there's so much more to think about now. It's almost like I'm just wondering how we're going to react to whatever they do on draft day. That's a great question. I think that's that's what they need to get sorted out the most. And not just for the fans. But the people within the building, you know, if you're a yeah. scout on the on on the road for eight months, uh, you want to know that that those eight months weren't just for vain, right? You, you know that that you, you your input matters. If if you're in the coaching staff um, and you're providing your input in terms of how guys fit in the scheme, and 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 that always doesn't work either. And frankly, if you're in the analytics staff and you're providing data, like like you want to know how these decisions are being made. And that's where I'm saying the lack of transparency from our reporting. Uh, was pretty clear because I I think in all these different departments there's there's kind of frustration that they don't know how some of these decisions are made. Alec yeah. Hallaby is a main figure in this, uh, and you guys got into you know the relationship obviously uh, with 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 Jeffrey's son uh, Julian, who may end up taking over the franchise one day when when his father steps down. Um, what do you know about Hallaby's influence in a sense of? You know, somebody compared him to like the Jonah Hill character in Moneyball. That that he's the guy that's working the numbers behind the scenes. Oh, I like that, Kevin. And, and, and well, it's not my original thought, but uh, it, it, it's he's the guy who's feeding Howie and Jeffrey everything they need to know and keeping everybody else on the outside. Is that fair? Um, I, so I don't know if I would frame it quite that way, but it is fair to say that. He is, he's, he's close with Jeffrey Lurie and, you know, he reports to Howie Roseman and that from the coaching staff side and, and the scouting staff side, uh, there's a lot of ambiguity as, you know, there's, 
there is much work that needs to be done on on that relationship, you know. And I th- I think that is 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 how I would frame it. And yeah, so uh, as I I don't know if it's if it's fair to say like he's the one feeding Jeffrey and Howie their information and 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 they're making decisions based on that. But I think it's problematic when within the organization they don't quite know how, you know, uh, how his information is being used. And I think that, yeah, so I, I think that's problematic. One thing I also want to uh, clear up for your listeners, because, um, you know, I, I've, I've heard this on, on radio, and it's, it's, it's not the characterization we intended to make. The friendship with Julian Lurie, that, that does not predate his, his time in the organization, right? So uh, uh, Al Calby's been here for a long time. Uh, he's older than Julian Lurie, and and so it's not like they went to college together and then they hired Julian's friend. That that's something that that, from my understanding, came on after the fact. All right, Warren Sharp is another name you mentioned, and it was uh, uh, provided weekly offensive game plan reports during the season. Was this something that the coaching staff was comfortable with, or was this a um, was this something that was unwelcomed by Doug and and, and the group? I think it's an example of you know the more information that the coaching staff is is getting that they're not necessarily inviting, right? You know, right. and I think I think that is how I would characterize it. Now, I don't think more information is a bad thing, but I I think that uh, you need to find out how to how to make information productive, and I don't think information was was productive when it came to the coaching staff and then and the analytics staff. Hey, Zach, for people who are listening to this who may not understand the inner workings of a newspaper, and that has evolved over the years, but you had three guys working on the or, story. Or a media outlet, we should point out, since Zach works for media. Okay. Yes. okay, you're right. But I, I still think of it as a newspaper because I just label everything a newspaper. But yes. you're right. But three guys working on this. Can you just give me some sense, give them some sense, how much work goes into this, and how do three guys – I've never really written. I'm, I think maybe once I did or twice – but sat down and wrote stories with two of my colleagues. Yeah. Just how does this, you know, how did this all come about and how long have you guys been working on it? And what is it like to do something like this? Sure. Good question. And it's a good process question that uh, we've been working on it for, for really two months here. Um, I would say since the end of the season, but in it's, it's more been in earnest since the Carson Wentz trades came up, you know, since, since it became apparent that they were moving on from the head coach and the starting quarterback, that's when we kind of take a step back and, and say, all right, how did they get from where they were in 2017 to where they are now? And, and really that was the impetus of the story. Uh, there was, there was no like finish line that we were looking toward. We were just going into it, trying to, to find out what happened, talk to as many people. Uh, and so how do you do it with three people is, is, I mean, these are great colleagues that, that, you know, you trust and you, you trust their reporting, you trust their sourcing. You know, I, I, I hope they trust my reporting and my sourcing. And it's the type of thing where we all work together. Uh, we, we, we have different relationships throughout the league and, you know, you, you tap into those relationships. You make a lot, a lot of calls as, as you guys both know. And, uh, and then you get to, and you try to independently verify things. And, and that was, that was really the key is, is, you know, people said like, like, when did you decide to run the story? And, and it was, it was when we had our legs underneath us from a reporting perspective that we independently verified through multiple sources, um, everything that was going in there. And, uh, and, and, and really that was key because we, we didn't want it to be just talk to person X 
who might have an ax to grind uh, or this person who has this agenda. It was really making sure that these accounts were verified. And, to- and did one person write it, Zach, or did the three of you all have some part to do in writing the story? It's a pretty long yeah. story. Yeah, we all had different sections that we wrote, and then we had okay. outstanding editors. I mean, uh, you know, that's 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 not something that that often gets talked about in these interviews. I was just going to say, but, Zach, name them. Yeah, but um, but but the editors. Uh, oh, 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 you name your editors. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, Stephen Cohen and Adam Hirschfield uh, were were two terrific editors in here who who uh, did a great job, kind of taking um these different sections and, and, and putting them together to turn into a good story. And I'm not asking you to name say state secrets here, but since the story came out on Monday, how much pushback mm-hmm. have you gotten from Novacare complex? Um, you know, they look, haven't read it yet. <laughs> you know, there's, uh, I'll, I'll just say we, we tried to handle, or well, I, I'm confident we handled ourselves like professionally before the story right. ran. And then after the story ran, and, and so, uh, so pushback, it's, it, you know, there's, there's obviously relationships there that like you, you, you keep that private, but sure. I'm confident we handled it in a, in a professional way. Okay. Because I, and the only reason I ask is because I always knew if there was crickets coming from the other side, you tended to have everything lined up, right. You know? Yeah. No, no. I mean, I, I think that we were, yeah, we just tried to handle everything professionally. Um, yeah. let me ask you about the draft. Um, mm-hmm. there's a report today that. The Eagles are still interested in Deshaun Watson um, and maybe 12 is part of it, but they would also hold on to Jalen Hurts. This is coming out of Houston. So this could be funny, you know, funny talk, you know, t- two weeks before a draft. And we all know that. Hey, the price might've went down, Kevin. Oh, I know, but that that's going to be the question. Um, are they going to have Jalen Hurts as their starting quarterback or, or could they be still kicking the tires on like a Watson trade at this point? I think that uh, if I had to bet right now, it would be Jalen Hurts as the starting quarterback in 2021. And then uh, really I'm seeing what they have and then evaluating this time next year. But I would never put this or I would never put it past this organization to be opt- to be opportunistic about improving the quarterback spot. So if it if they can get the right player at the right price, um, then that's something they that that I, I think they would pursue. It's really hard for me with the Deshaun Watson situation in particular, just because I don't have enough education on as far as what's going on there right. to really know the details. Well, there's right. also the cap issues that are involved too, which would make it sure. extremely difficult sure. with their cap hit on, on the, on the went straight. The second sure. part, do you think they will stay at 12? Uh, you know, I, I think they, I think they're going to have quality options at 12, but they, they definitely have the draft inventory to move up if they want. If, if a guy like Kyle Pitts, falls down to, you know, let's say like the eight or nine spot, they have the ammo to move up if they think this is a, a generational player. And I mean, just from a reporter's perspective, it'd, it'd be fun to cover like an Archbishop Wood guy, um, you know, who's, who's your top 10 pick. Uh, yeah, I think there'd be fan interest in that, but uh, I think that they have the ammo, but if I had to guess they're they'll be drafting at 12. Mike, if, if it won't be the kid from BYU, but let's say, one of those five quarterbacks fell to either 12 or close to 12. Or Do you think the Eagles, like, I'll just throw Justin Fields' name out there. I, I don't, but, because he, you know, if he was there at 12, God forbid, and we've seen this happen in drafts, or maybe Matt Jones, uh, or whatever, maybe the kid from N- ND State, 
Do you think the Eagles would think about it if it was like a Justin Fields that some people had regarded as the second best quarterback or whatever that they would say we can't pass on this guy? Yeah, that's that's a fair question. My view on that is that if if they were intrigued enough in these quarterbacks this year, then they would have not have have traded down from six. Right. Okay. That, that, uh, that if if they were going to go if they were genuinely in the quarterback market. Um, mm-hmm. And they would have stuck at six or even tried to move up from six. But right. by going down from six to 12, I think that that was not just them kind of getting out of the quarterback market, but also putting them more in play um, in a different tier of player. Are they, right. are they worried at all that they have now slipped in picks behind Dallas who wants pits? I mean, it's been the heavy rumor that and yes. the giants yes. who could trade out and get extra assets if let's say New England wants to go move up and get Fields or or Mac Jones sure. or something like that, uh, look, I I I do think that is that's that's interesting how it, it worked out that way. But I think the uh, the appeal of getting that twenty twenty two first round pick was too much for the Eagles to pass up. You know, first round picks are hard to get, yeah. and they could have as many as three next year. Um, and and they're. I mean, really, they're in a process here where they're building for 2022, you know, when they can have cap space and, and they have these high picks. Yeah, and again, Zach, I just go back to what you guys wrote, but what Kevin and I have talked about ad nauseum. Do I have faith that the people doing the picking, yeah. you know, I could have five first-round draft picks next year or whatever, and I think they are going to try to get a quarterback if Jalen doesn't work out for whatever yeah. reason. I just don't have faith. Anymore that what the, because for three years now or maybe four years they haven't done one thing. Oh, well, I shouldn't say that. The, the, the running back in the second Bowl. round was yeah. well. The running back in the second Sanders, round was good. I'm right. Yeah, I'm sure I'm leaving somebody out, but I mean, there's too many guys that they've taken that have been miserable failures so far. I just worry going forward that I don't care how much ammunition you have. I don't care. <laughs> you know, it's almost like. Okay, great. We have all this ammunition now. Now, how are we going to screw it up? Yeah, well, that's look. These these past two drafts in particular have have been bad, um, and that's that's the biggest problem with the Eagles right now. Is if from a like a roster perspective, they will tell you that the reason they're in this situation is because they tried to fit more into that Super Bowl window. That's not why they're in this situation. They're in this situation not because of the strategy, but because of the execution. Um, if, if you look at their first and second round picks, they've had five over the past two years. They've come out with, with Jalen Rager, Jalen Hurts, Andre Dillard, Miles Sanders, and J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. They should have, you know, three or four foundational pieces right now from those drafts. Right. And there are too many questions about too many of those players. Uh, and that's problematic. That was their opportunity to, especially when they traded out of the first round in 2018, got that extra second round pick. That was their opportunity to really build. And they just, they haven't hit on enough picks. And they, some of the guys who they could have got, I mean, I not look, we could go through this every year. But some of the guys that they could have gotten in the last three or so years that they didn't take, it's it's almost that compounds the problem. <laughs> you know, not yeah. only who they took, but who they didn't take. Yeah, not getting Jefferson and taking Rieger or, last year is the is or the even the two running backs that Green Bay took that one year when they took Pumph- well, or Pumphrey in the third round or whatever it was. Zach, I mean, the, Green Bay gets two running backs after that that are starting right. for them. Zach, you mentioned uh 
you mentioned the one thing, and, and, and you know, with their draft history and all that, they haven't drafted a linebacker since 1979 in the first round, um, <laughs> and, and with Jerry Robinson, yep. um, and he was pretty good. He was pretty good. Michael Parsons, and obviously that's not all Jeffrey's group, so I should say that. Um, right. But Micah Parsons could be there at at 12. It's mm-hmm. very conceivable. And he may be the best defensive player on the board at that point. Would they go outside their comfort zone to get a player like that? I mean, it's tough to tell with a new, head, uh, a new coaching staff, but the organizational philosophy has been to downplay linebacker yeah. a lot. Yeah, it, it would surprise me based on what you said, based on the organizational philosophy. Uh, but if 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 I was in their draft room, I would say the the only criteria I would have at number 12 is who has the best chance to be a top-of-the-league player. They don't have enough blue-chip mm-hmm. no. elite players on this team. So I would disregard my depth chart. I would disregard uh, my system. I would just think, like, who are the best play who's the best player here and if the best mm-hmm. player there is parsons uh now obviously you lean to if if it's between parsons and a left tackle you go with the left tackle or if parsons and a wide receiver go with the wide receiver or a corner but, right exactly exactly but if if you think parsons can be like an all pro player in this league then that's uh, it's it's hard to find those guys right and, and and i i just i'm still skeptical that's the way they would go at number 12 zach do teams or, or, or say the eagles i don't care what teams do but do they get, go into a draft, let's say, and list? I'm, I'm just going to say, like one to sixty, let's say, mm-hmm. on their what they think is one to sixty, and they may never, not even have Trevor Lawrence one. I, I don't know this, but and let's say you had Micah Parsons fourth. I'm just throwing the number out there. You know, you think he's the fourth best player in the draft, or maybe that applies to somebody else. And there, there are twelve. Don't you almost have to say we have him rated as the fourth best player, whether we're right or wrong? He's there at twelve. We have to take him. I yeah, mean, so my understanding, some, some, so my understanding is is that it's it's done more by you know tiers or categories, okay, okay. maybe a list. So you know you have a tier for you know say like a top of the league player, a potential right. starter, a replacement level starter, right. whatever it may be, and that you're picking players from that tier as opposed to you know one to one fifty, right? And the fact that five quarterbacks are likely to go. One, you're almost getting the seventh best player in the draft. I think that's the way they viewed it, right? Yeah. Yeah. If they don't want a quarterback, which you're kind of saying you don't think they want, they're actually picking like seventh. Yeah. That's a good point. And, but, you know, it's if, if you look at, at, at some of their draft mistakes in the past, yeah. I, I, I can tell you specifically like 2014 when they took Marcus Smith. Um, one of the issues there is the Eagles thought quarterbacks were going to go higher that year than they did, right? And so, like, Johnny Manziel fell that year. The Eagles had six guys that they were targeting that they thought would fall to 21, didn't happen, and and then they were kind of uh, panicking at that point, traded back, but still didn't get, you know, um, you know they ended up with, with Marcus Smith, right? So you never know on, on draft night. But I, I'd forgotten Eagles, about him, Zach. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> I, I really for the Eagles, these quarterbacks get pushed up the board and some of these skill guys get pushed down. And that's what makes yeah. the defensive option so intriguing because of the fact that you may be picking, you know, obviously, you know, you look at it, uh, the corner from Alabama may go. If Dallas doesn't well, go you got for three, Smith. You got three wide receivers, Kevin, in the tight end. Right. And, and, and all these right quarterbacks. There. And all these quarterbacks. So you could be picking, 
if you want to go defense, it could be the best options on the board. But there also could be a really, really good lineman there. That's true. I don't know if that's the way they want to go, but if, God forbid, one of those really highly rated linemen fell that far, you know, unless you love Andre Dillard. Well, and and that's the next question. I mean, obviously, Andre Dillard, I think – are they, have they given up on him at this point? Or I mean, will we find out on draft night if they've given up on him? Well, they really like Mylotta too. That's the right. thing is that yes. um, they, I mean, they think Mylotta has, has has huge upside. They have this major investment in Andre Dillard, but let's say you're you're at at twelve and somehow Sewell falls to twelve. Um, yeah, that's, that's a tough. That's a you know. I think if if you think this guy can be an elite left tackle, you need to pull the trigger there. And it doesn't matter that you spent this 2019 investment on Dillard, and it doesn't matter that you spent the uh, you know that 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 my lot of should promise. What what matters most is 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 is, is getting an elite level player. And, and the guy from Northwestern, yeah, Ray Slater supposed to be good, but he, they say he may play guard, right? But the Eagles exactly. may need a guard. Yeah, true, but you know, then you think does does you know does the value of a guard yeah, at, at I got twelve you. is that worth it? But but, but that is something that they might need to consider. Yeah, because you're going to have Johnson. You, you know, Brooks is coming off can an injury. Hold on. Ma, ma, question, uh, but Mike, Mike, let me finish. Johnson, Brooks, Kelsey. I mean, mm-hmm. and you already have your question at the other at the yeah. other end. Mm-hmm. They're going to need offensive alignment here in a hurry. So go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. No, no, you're, you're fine. Well, this is a dumb question, but is Whiteside ever going to be anything even remotely like a player, and is Rager going to be better than we think he is right now? Uh, I think Rager's going to be better than I, I think Rager's going to be better than he looked this past year. Okay, now, I, okay. I know that that's that's not a high bar, um, but I think this was this was a weird year for uh, Rager, and mm-hmm. you know, I I don't think they used him particularly well. Um, as far as Ortega Whiteside, I'm skeptical that. He's going to be much more than 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 what you've seen. I just Ugh. he he doesn't separate, um, and the, and if if you don't separate, you need to be like elite in your route running. You can't just win jump balls, and uh, and, and and so I I am skeptical in Ortega Whiteside at this point. Well, they're also getting to a point with this contract too that they're going to have to. It's a Fisher Cup bait kind of year for him, isn't it? Yeah, he, he's entering year three. I think they would. You know, I think if if a team's willing to give them like a late pick. And they wouldn't mind trading him, but I'll I'll say this: Nick Sirianni has a reputation in the NFL of being very good at developing wide receivers. Um, he was he's a former wide receiver himself. He's a former wide receivers coach who had success developing wideouts uh, with the Chargers, and and so maybe uh, he's someone who can ex- 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 extract extract talent from that group. Well, he came I, to the right team, baby. <laughs> yeah. I just don't know if they have the players, to be honest with you. Zach Berman from The Athletic. Make sure you subscribe uh, for him. Bo Wolf, Shil Kapadia, Matt Gelb, I should point out as well. Uh, my buddy on the Philly side and uh, everybody, Rich Hoffman. and uh, So, so when, when's the, the next, Kevin? When's the next story like this coming out, Zach? Like, do we have to wait in our three months or, you know, for you guys to dig up enough? <laughs> That'll be summer or- for Zach at that point. It'll be a little bit of beach time before training camp. Yeah, now, you know, we'll, uh, we're always working the phones and, and uh, you know, when there's a story to write, we'll write it. Uh, Good for you guys. Final question, actually. Uh, do you expect a normal NFL next year? More like 2019 than it was 2020? 
Ooh, good question. Um, I think there are going to be fans in the stands, right? So I, 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 I think for the fan purposes, there, there will be. As far as what the like day to day for the players and the coaches look like, um, I'm hoping it's closer to normal because 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 that means our society is getting back closer to normal and people are returning to offices and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, it's, you know, I, yeah, I, I think well, it would be closer to 19 than 20, but I don't know if it's totally at 19. Oh, and we've seen the pushback, like the Broncos, the Bucks, all these teams that have pushed back on OTAs. Um, yeah, I think that's more the time of the year. I think that the expectation is, is that by the time training camp uh, rolls around, more guys are, are vaccinated more guys are healthy and, or, or I shouldn't say more guys are healthy. There's, there's less risk for these, these, these players working in a close environment. Will, will you guys be in locker rooms, you think, or will still be Zoom through at least 221? I, I, I certainly hope so. I mean, I, I, I certainly hope we're in locker rooms. You guys know this. Like, you're always taught, you know, be there and be fair. And I haven't been there, you know, yeah. in a locker room in a year. And so I'm, I'm, I'm covering guys that uh, – that I haven't met now that I, I will, I, I make sure I say like that the, uh, on the list of people affected by COVID, the plight of football writers is, is last on that list basically. Sure. But, um, but from, you know, in, in terms of doing the job, the way you want to do it, you want to build these relationships. And a lot of these guys I just haven't met. And because yeah. uh, let's be honest, I mean, it, it's just tough to get to some of the questions that you want to ask yep. on it because of zoom feeds teams control how many questions. Or some of the answers take. too, Kevin. Right. Guys can, yeah. uh, you know, and that's nothing on PR staffs. That's just, you know, you can't have 500 people asking questions. So, um, exactly. Uh, Zach Berman, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for coming on. Uh, Be good, make man. Make sure you check them out on the athletics, uh, on the athletic, and especially that story from Monday. And we'll be back on Work on the Beat right after these messages. Thanks to Zach Berman for joining us to discuss that story on the Eagles and the look ahead a little bit at the NFL draft. It's always fascinating. And Mike, I think your point of, of having three people, you know, I've done a couple of those kind of collaboration stories. They are difficult. They are very difficult yeah. because people have the different one, writing styles and all that. And yeah, the uh, ones I did were never like a story of like this. No, turn the music off. Oh, sorry. I thought I did. There, there you go. Um, yeah, I, I might have done done a story with Girardi once, maybe on something, or or I'm trying to think, but it wouldn't have been like this much in depth reporting kind of thing, where and you know, and then if you read a story, you don't want it to feel like three different people wrote it. That's where the editors come in, mm-hmm. because like if I wrote a, you know, if I sat down and you sat down and and Joe Giuliano sat down, and we all, yeah, you know, I mean, people are going to know what I wrote know what you wrote know what joe wrote i mean right. it's it's not that hard um so i think you know yeah to make this work there's it, it, a lot that goes into it and, I, and obviously the readers don't have to know that or they don't i mean you know they're just doing their jobs but it, it's and, and that's what the business i think is becoming more is you're you're going to see more kind of stories like this yeah especially in a town where football is king and they go from a super bowl to this and you know, you know look in, and you mentioned this. I mean, Jeff's story, McLean's story after the Wentz trade that detailed yep. some of that. And then you add this in. Um, right. You know, I think this is a clearer picture as we've ever received on what the organization, the inner workings of the organization in real time. And scary. It's scary. And it's also, you know what? it's also a testament. And look, I, I said a couple months ago, I thought, you know, because 
I think sometimes we believe, yeah, there's a lot of spin control that goes on uh, with, with teams trying to get, you know, they sometimes use national reporters to get spin out on different things. Um, you know, and, and that was highlighted actually a little bit in uh, one of the parts in Zach and, and Bo and, and, and Shields story about, you know, how Roseman wanting to control who was getting information that he viewed information as currency. Um, everybody wants to control information. Everybody wants Kevin. to control information. But the fact that you these know? guys in both instances, both in the Inquirer and at the Athletic, were able to get this out. Uh, as detailed as it was, I think is a testament when, to ha- when, the good reporting that was going When I covered colleges, on. and you could, I'm sure you know this too, but sure. when I covered colleges, people did not, they thought information was gold, and they would try to protect it. And I try to explain to them sometimes, there are no secrets, right. especially not now with the world we live in now, maybe 20 years ago. But I would go up to people, i say, you know, you think you're keeping a secret. And yeah, and you might for, but but this the secret will get out. But I worked with athletic directors and coaches, and they, they wanted everything to come out on their terms, and I I understand that. Um, but I'm sure if we did a dissection of the Sixers front office, especially pre this year, the Phillies front office, right, and maybe the Flyers. I'm not as familiar with the Flyers and the inner workings of the Flyers. We would probably get similar stories, maybe not to this degree. But you were telling me for years about you know the Phillies organization just didn't work, whatever. And then we heard horror stories about the Sixers, right? And now that didn't work. So you know, but it's just that the Eagles won a Super Bowl, and, and, and the drop and the, the drop from and the drop from Super Bowl to well, four wins is so precipitous. If they had four wins and the quarterback and the coach were coming back. I'm not sure this story would have been written. No, that's true. And that's not on Zach or anything, but no, the, the no, topic no, no, is no. just. But, right. right. But if we were coming back in this year with, with the coach and the quarterback and they were going to it's try not, to work it out. And they were it's not to as exposed. Out, yes. You know, um, but obviously the coach and the quarterback ain't coming back. So, nope. you know, uh, it's, you know, hey. Um. Let me uh, let, let's get to uh, some other topics here. Um, I mentioned this at the top in the intro. Uh, the Phillies have called up um, Mickey Moniak. Adam Hazley has left the team, and I want to read uh, some quotes that came in uh, while we were uh, talking to Zach uh, from Joe Girardi's uh, press availability, and it, it, it's kind of fascinating because. Uh, this was the this these were the answers, and I'll give our buddy Jim Salisbury was on it, and he put this on Twitter. Girardi would not expound on Hazley's personal reasons for leaving team. Said he spoke to the player today by phone. Said team had not planned on making a tr- transaction, so it wasn't like that Hazley was going down. Um, asked if he expected to see Hazley again this year, Girardi said he did not know. Uh, they agreed this, this is from Matt Breen's, uh, Twitter feed agreed. This was for the best Roman Quinn will start tonight. Um, they're going to have to make a move in center field. They cannot live with this group, this setup for 162 and make the playoffs. They just well, prob- probably not, but look, I, I, I'm not going to try to speculate on what the situation with Hayes. No. I have no clue. And, and it, you know, as we're finding out now, there's a situation with Ben Simmons that was going on in his family life that maybe has affected his play. Um, 
I, I don't know. I don't know Adam Hazley, so I don't know. All I know is they have five center fielders, and none of them won the job. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know what more you have to say. And then people really didn't want, uh, you know, a, a double because of the thing, you know, with his girlfriend and fiance, whatever it was. They wanted Kingery to win the job. Yeah, they did. And he didn't. So, yes, Kevin, I think, you know, at some point, if the Phillies are contenders, and I see no reason why they wouldn't be at the trade deadline, you know, they'll be somewhere in contention for, you know, at least a wild card or the division or whatever, I would think. Yeah. they're Now, who they can get, what they can afford, what I, I have no idea. You would have a better idea. Well, and, I, and I mentioned Randall Gritchick's name uh, from the Blue Jays, who Toronto signed George Springer in the offseason, and there's a belief that Gritchick, oh, okay. could, Gritchick could be um, available. And he costs about okay. t- he's ten million in salary, and the Phillies could yeah. have him through two years, and then that kind of buys him some time. But so are you telling me that the Blue Jays, who are supposedly a pretty good team, right? They're they're a mm-hmm. decent team. Yeah, they went out and signed Springer, and they have a guy making ten million that they they just knocked out of the lineup. So yeah, they pretty much. Springer? Yeah, because they that felt Springer weird. was a they felt Springer was a bargain, I guess in the in the open market. Okay, and Springer's no, an upgrade on Gritchick, but. Yeah, why they wouldn't have tried to move that guy then? Well, okay. Yeah, I, I think you know, obviously Springer is coming uh, has an injury right now, so Gritchick will not move right, right. now. But I'm okay. wondering if down the road, if Gritchick's going to probably be available. Well, here's the question: What do the Phillies give? I mean, well, that's the other part. What do they, they don't, have? They to don't give? have much to give. No, no. And, and so, so, does Spencer Howard yeah. end up being part of that? And if that's the case, then you need a then you need another starter. Then probably. you need another starter because right. you know we're. <laughs> their bullpen when Bradley gets back, I think their bullpen's going to be okay. Um, I, you know, I think their lineup eventually will hit. Mm-hmm. I do worry about four and five in the starting rotation. You know, mm-hmm. I, we could get into the Aaron Nola thing. I worry a little bit about him in, in, in some spots, but okay, he's fine. Um, you know, th- 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 they have they have some they have some holes. No shit. And of course they have some holes. And I don't know. But I don't know how. I don't know if they have enough capital in the minor leagues to go fill them. Well, here's the problem. And I think they're a good team. And and when everybody talks about their relief pitching, it's compared to last year. Yeah. Anything compared to last year. Well, Mike, all they have to do is finish like in the middle of the pack in the MLB. And they will be fine. They will, but it's still the middle of the pack. You know, that doesn't mean that that, that some of these guys they have aren't going to be Mitch Williams. Yeah, and I like Mitch. Trust me, they, they don't win the 93 pennant without Mitch, so I'm not knocking Mitch. But they have – it's not going to be a pristine thing, and they might have other injuries. My problem is you have a guy like Howard who two years ago, I was being told this guy is going to be like your third starter or whatever, and now like his future is cloudy, and now you're going to trade him. Well, no, you know, I'm saying they just, may have to trade him. Well, that's what I mean. That, that's what I'm saying. I don't think they you know, want to trade him. I think they may have to trade no, him. They make a move. But it's the same difference, Kevin. If, if you're if you're getting rid of a guy who supposedly was part of your future going forward, because now you need a center fielder, you're just creating a, a spot. You know, then, then you're going to have to look for a fifth starter or fourth starter. It's it's like plugging one hole. You know, how can you have this many center fielders? I, I mean, the one guy was the number one pick overall. Right, I, I mean, they gave Kingery the money. How you can have five five guys, and they're paying Adubel some money, 
Um, now, they can't control what he did. I, I get all that. And I didn't think he was all that great to begin with. He had flashes where he was good. Um, I just don't understand how you can have five guys and one of them can't be okay. You know, he doesn't even have to be great. Just just be okay. It's, it's amazing to me that they, you know, um, but that's what it is. So, you know, I mean, hey, it's – and knowing the Phillies, they'll probably go out and try to – they'll have to maybe go – a different center fielder who isn't much better than the ones they got, you know, cause that might be all they can do. I don't know. Um, you know, let, let me ask you about two other things with baseball. Well, there, there, there's a report today that they're going to in the Atlantic league. And by the way, I should point out the Atlantic league is like the, the, the test, the test lab for major league baseball that they're going to move the, the mound back to a foot. So, or the, the, the pitching rubber back a foot. So it'll be 61 feet, six inches uh, with the idea that they're hoping that that extra foot will allow for a decrease in velocity at the plate, which will allow the ball to be put more in play. Um, do you have any thoughts on this? I hate any changes. You you know me. Which is it, what it, I was going to get to part two of this, but go ahead. But I mean, why not move it to 64, 63? Why, why one foot? Has somebody done a study? They're saying because what, of the height differences between pitchers now and what they were back, I guess, in the 50s. Yeah, but what I, I get it. And but sp- what I'm saying is, so why not move the so Three years from now, are they going to tell me they're going to move the bases to 91 feet? I, I mean, I don't know like where you stop. It's baseball. You know, I know they lowered the mound after the 68 season because, you know, Bob Gibson went out and had a one point. One, one six. two ERA. Right. I, I understand that. Um, I don't know what the answer is. Pitchers have gotten bigger. They throw faster. I, you know, this just in. I, I mean, so, you know, but you want guys to go back to being contact hitters. They ain't going to go back to being contact hitters. If they wanted to be contact hitters, now they could be contact hitters. You, just because a guy's throwing 100 mm-hmm. doesn't mean you can't sling a single to left field. But they're all trying to hit home runs. Well, if you're trying to hit home runs, you're going to strike out 10 times a game or 12 times a game. And this is the type of stuff that I believe people who do not like baseball, who are running baseball, are trying to do and, and trying to enact. And it's kind of like that stupid man on second rule in the in the in extra innings. Some people love that rule, Kevin. I know. I get it. You and I know, but some people think it's I'm watching the other day. I didn't I forgot I had forgotten that the double headers were only seven innings. So when I saw the and I'm not as bad about that as others. I I actually understand that. Yeah, but but what I'm saying is, you're judging a team on 162 games, and one team, if one team beats out a team by a game for a playoff spot, and the only reason they did that was because maybe they played four seven inning games. Yeah, that's not baseball. You can't change. You you couldn't. You shouldn't say in hockey or basketball where we're playing back to back nights. So instead of playing 48 minutes, you're only going to play 42. You wouldn't do that. You would sit there and go, "That's stupid." But in baseball, they do. Oh well, we don't want to. We don't want teams to ruin their bullpens, and we don't want this. It's baseball. Yeah. Play the damn game, and just you know, if, if you have a twelve inning game, you have a twelve inning game, and that's life. I mean, I don't. Yeah. You know, Jason Martinez was talking the other day on on the on the fanatic, and I, I never. He was saying that the number. The dead ball time, like 
and he was reading off these numbers. It was astounding, like how much dead time there is in a baseball game. Yeah. Um, and, and I thought about it, and I'm like, yeah, why would somebody, you know, me and you like baseball? Because I mean, baseball was the first sport I was kind of introduced to. Right. And I think it is a good sport, um, especially at playoff time. Any sport's a better game at playoff time. But it is a hard sport to get into if you're a young kid in this day and age whose attention span is like 20 seconds or you're off to the next thing, and then you see the Red Sox-Yankees playing four-hour games every time they play. Well, let But me- to me, the combating that by saying, well, now we're going to put a th- the three-pitcher. Yeah, the pitcher's got to pitch the three batters. No, that's not baseball. If, if Joe Girardi wants to bring a guy in to face one guy, he should be allowed to do that. But, again, that's a 63-year-old guy telling you that. So – you know, I I think baseball, it, it, they're trying. And like you said, there's people that don't understand the game. It's Again, it's the analytical. And I'm not trying to blame all the world's problems on analytical people. I don't mean to do that. But let's get rid of this shift. No, if you want to put eight guys on one side of the field, go ahead. It's yeah. up to the batter to hit the ball where they ain't. I, you know, every game I watch, I was watching a game last night. It must have been the Phillies game, right? Um, and... Somebody threw a right-handed pitcher through an outside fastball to a left-handed hitter. What did the left-handed hitter do? Took the he other pulled one. the ball to the second oh, baseman yeah. for a ground out. Why? Because that's what Why? they were trained to do. Exactly. But that's not baseball's fault. No. The well, game's fault. That's the batter trying to hit, pull a pitch you can't pull. I'll bet you if we went back and looked at films, and so Willie Mays and Clemente and Aaron and guys like that, I will bet you they took the ball to the opposite field. I'll bet you. Now, not as much as they pulled it. You know, but granted, that, that's what pull hitters do. They, you know, they do what they do. But, I mean, Joe DiMaggio, and again, this is 1940 or 30, Joe DiMaggio one year struck out like 15 times. Joe DiMaggio yeah. in like, you know, 600 plate appearances. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so pitchers weren't any good back then. No, you know there, there was no good pitchers back then. Lefty Grove, Dizzy Dean, you know, <laughs> named fifty. But I'm just saying, Rob Bob Feller wasn't throwing the ball 100 miles an hour in 1938. I mean, you know, yep. it, it's just the game has evolved to what it is. It's all about power. Yeah, and a lot of sports are like that. You know, basketball they want you want to see dunks. Um, you know, um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how you fix baseball, Kevin, well, but to me, by mo- moving the, the mound back a foot, I don't know. I would, uh, I would say one way to fix baseball is to fix your umpires, too, which leads to the Sunday question, which was the outbone play at the plate where he he missed the plate. and they Not according to the replay official. Except for the replay official who decided that he didn't uh, or that it was inconclusive. And baseball's got a problem with their umpires right now. I mean, if you watch the game on, if you watch game one on Tuesday and watch Joe West strike zone, it's it's pathetic. And I love Joe. I actually yeah. like Joe personally, um, but Joe Joe's strike zone was awful. Here, um, here's the problem with all replay. I don't care what sport it is. If you're going to have replay, then you have to have replay. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen too many times in the NFL where well that play is not reviewable. What do you mean that play is not reviewable? You know, the, the Ram cornerback just knocked the Saints guy you know, on his ass. Okay, 
So in baseball, and Tim Kirkchum was talking about this the other day, and I didn't notice because I'm not. Apparently, the guy who was in reviewing the, the play is an umpire. Yes, he is. And his whole point is the umpires ain't going like the way it's written now is you have to have conclusive proof. And Tim Kirkson's like, the hell with that. You just assume that there was no call. Assume that there was no call made and you have an eye in the sky, the guy, whatever you want to call him, who's not an umpire, who's trained to do this. They have these guys, right? I think in the NHL they do this. I'm not sure. Um, And you don't have to say, well, there's not conclusive proof because the ump on the field called him safe. So unless I can, no, the guy looks at it, he says, either safe or out and life goes on. Yeah. And, and that would make sense. I mean, everybody knows that he didn't, you know, it was like that playing the Mets game with the hip batter, right? And by the way, um, p- part of it too is that ESPN's angles on that, they didn't show the one from center field, which I think was right, kind of the smoking yeah, gun. Right. They didn't right. show that until after the call was the, was a right. non-call. And, and if the replay guy can, can honestly say, I can't tell if his foot hit the plate or not. That That's okay. That's a fun. That's an answer. But like the Mets game last week, where the hit batter, yeah, that, and, that's and the not, after the game said, yeah, yeah, I screwed uh, up, you know. But but they couldn't overrule it because you're not. Why aren't you allowed to overrule that? Yeah. Why if you're going to use this, but everybody's afraid that it's going to lengthen the game by ten minutes. Okay, then don't have replay at all. Then yeah, just go back to Dan Deckinger, you know Don Deckinger and the World Series in '85 or '87 or whatever '85, and he blew the call. You know, the guy blew the call on that perfect game a few years ago. You know, and he admitted it later. I, I blew Jim, the call. Jim Joyce, yeah. yeah. It's going to happen. But you, to me, what's more frustrating is when you have replay. And, and like the Braves the other night. I understood why the Braves were upset. Hey, you know, the guy, and the one guy smiley said, hey, why have it if you're not going to use it? Yeah. And, and, you know, and if that played going against the Phillies, we, you know, if the Phillies would have been upset. Yep. But. What are you going to do? Um, let me switch to the Sixers. They host Brooklyn. We're recording this on Wednesday. They hosted Brooklyn, or what's passing is the Brooklyn Nets on Wednesday night. No Durant. No Harden. Uh, it looks like um, Kyrie Irving was a game-time decision. Um, it's, you know, but the idea, like, the bigger picture for the Sixers is the fact that we're kind of in that point of everybody get their stuff together before the playoffs. Cause anything that they're going to be judged by is what's going to happen in the next, you know, four weeks from now when the playoffs begin and Joel and B the other night has 36 points in 26 minutes and has looked, it was the first game since his time back that he looked extremely dominant and where do you think they are as as a group heading into the the postseason? Whether they finish first or second at this point, I'm not sure. It really matters is how are you playing going into it? Well, if Joel's got to be healthy because you can't take nights off, in the, but they won't have back to backs in the playoffs. I don't think. No, I don't think you do. Uh, but he's got to be healthy. I mean, the problem is, do you need Joel to do that every night? You know, can you win when Joel only scores 24? You know, I don't have the answer to that. And the second part is Ben Simmons has to be right. I don't want Doc Rivers to – and I know he's been going through some personal issues lately, and I don't know if that is affecting the, what's happening on the court. Sure. And the coach can come out and tell me all he wants about how he's happy, and that's fine. But 
you cannot have six game stretch where you have more turnovers than made field goals. No. That just can not happen. I don't care if you're shutting the guy down that you're guarding. His assist numbers are down. His his um, rebound numbers are down. And like I said, he's got to be right in the playoffs because the the line is so fine for the Sixers with the Nets in the box. And may, you know, maybe some teams like the Heat that I'm not even sitting there. I mean, but, you know, the, the, the line, you could have off nights because you're not going to play great every night. But if you're going to win a best of seven series, you got to be more, you know, more on than, you know, I mean, that Toronto series two years ago, they could have won that series. Yeah, they could have. They had, they had a couple, you know, and Bede had a couple games. Either he was sick or hurt or he didn't play well to one game. Um, you know, it's a fine line when the Nets well, could be trotting out those three guys and, in addition and, to whatever the hell else they're trying. The one thing that's going to work to the Sixers' benefit is these three guys have played together for most of the season. I mean, there's been injuries and everything, but, you know, as opposed to what Brooklyn's going to do, which is going to try to find chemistry on the fly. I don't think Brooklyn I, – I think that is so overrated. Brooklyn has three Hall of Famers I, in all likelihood. Mike, I agree, but I think there's also a point where three Hall of Famers have to learn to play with the, and share one basketball. And when they have played together this year, how have they looked? They've looked – Yeah, Harden had 15 assists. To do, Durant scores it. Look, first of all, if the Sixers play them, the likelihood is that the Nets would have played two series before that. Yeah. I think those 10 games or 12 games or whatever they're going to play are going to be enough for three Hall of Famers to figure out what they're doing. I mean, Durant came back from being out for like 24 games, and he looked well, like Durant. I mean, and I do, know. I do think it's critical for the Sixers that let Brooklyn and Milwaukee play each other in the second round. Like you know, keeping the one seed, getting home court advantage, which is always big in the NBA anyway. Um, but let those two battle each other out. Not saying that the Sixers' second round opponent's going to be chopped liver, but you know, I don't think home court advantage. If they get to an Eastern Final and they're the the top seed ahead of the Nets. Let's say it's the Nets or the Bucks, whatever. I don't right. Know. I, people say, well, if it gets to game seven, hey, dudes, let's get to game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, I remember what happened in 2001 when they won those two series at home. But I, I, I think the more important thing is what you just said, is that you wouldn't have to play the Bucks and the in Nets. second round. Although, if you end up with Miami, let's just say, for the sake of argument, that could be a tough series, too. Um, it could. You know, I'm not. It's not as tough as playing the Bucks, probably. But you know, Miami's Miami, and they'll have Jimmy, and he'll want to beat them, and and they have a pretty good coach. Um, yeah, they do. You know, and all you got to do is slip up. Like you know, if you have the home court advantage, and and you lose one at home, I mean, you know, people are assuming like the Sixers are never going to lose at home. Well, you know, that doesn't necessarily happen that way. You're not going to have twenty thousand people in the building, in all likelihood. You know, I don't know how many they will have, but I, I would rather be the one seed for sure. I, I, I don't. I think the one seed means more to the Sixers than the Nets. I agree uh, because I think the Nets are probably like, hey, look, you know, if we have to go play a game seven in Philly, if it came to that, I don't think the Nets are going to come down here fearing anything. By the way, the, um, I don't think the Sixers would be fearing anything right. if they went up there either. But the, the four seed, know. the four seed in the East right now is Atlanta. The fu- I don't know much about Atlanta to be honest with you. Right. Kevin. Atlanta, Except they have the, the Atlanta, kid that scores a lot. Um, 
Well, right now Atlanta's the four Atlanta's the four seed, really. Atlanta's the four seed. They're a wow. game ahead of Boston, who's the five. Miami right. is the six. Charlotte and the Knicks are seven and eight. Now remember, nine and ten get to do a playing game as well. Indiana's the the nine and no, I don't think that's how the playing works, Kevin. No, seven think, plays eight. Yeah, nine that's, plays that's ten. Cool. And Mark Cuban came out and said that the other day. It it should be seven should play ten. Eight should play nine, and then the two winners move in as the seven and eight seed. Well, what they're the, doing, the NBA is making the NBA is making this way too complicated for reasons that only the NBA understands. What they're basically doing is they're letting the seven and the eight seed only have to win one game to go forward, and, and the nine and ten, whoever is nine and ten, would have to win two to get in. You know what? It's bullshit. You know, if you if you're only asking, they're doing it so they can put extra games on TV. Sure. That's the only reason they're doing this. And crap. Mike, it's a and, five. And Mike, it's a five-game separation between the eight seed and the ten seed. In yeah, the I, I don't care. I'm this just saying play, it's ridiculous. This is why you play seventy some games or whatever they're playing this year. You, if you can't determine who the eight seed is over seventy some games, then something's wrong with your sport. This is just the NBA wanting to get more money or TNT or whatever it's going to be on, and say, here, here's four more games we can put on. And Zion Williamson might be in one of the games. Oh, okay, great. That's whatever. I, I They lose me. It, it's just, you know, every time I try to like the league again, it, they, they just lose me because this is they do stuff like this. It's, it's just you play. Whoever's the eighth seed is the eighth seed, and you're going to play to one, and that's the way it goes. But, okay. You uh, know. Uh, let me get to another team in this town. We could do the four for four. Boy, the hockey team. I saw them on Saturday against Boston, and they win that game 3-2, and they're only four points back of Boston. And They have Buffalo coming in that are building on Sunday, and Boston had Washington, and you're thinking, well, you know, they could get within two by the end of the weekend, and then it just is falling apart again. And you know, they, they, they no-showed last night in, in Washington. And our buddy Mike Silski, I thought, did a really good column Pretty much, yeah. They're just good. They're just good enough to be not good enough. Not good enough. And yeah, that's, he's he's right. And and they didn't do anything at the. And I'm look. I'm not saying I would have done some of the trade deadline, but the fact that they didn't do anything at the trade deadline kind of let lets you believe that they don't really believe in this team. Yeah, you know, I agree. Um, and I don't know what that. You know, we start the season with such hope. I, I, you know, I mean, there's still 18 games left. A lot of goofy crap can happen, but I think they get the pens coming up, right? Um, and, well, they ha- they have the Islanders, I think, again too. And then the pens after that, maybe. Or I pen, know they got the pens. They got the up. pens, and then and, they get Washington on Saturday, and yeah. yeah. So I mean, yeah, it's you know, and look, they're in a brutal division. I get it, I, you know, and we knew one team out of those five wasn't going to make it. Um. But, you know, I thought – I remember telling you about three weeks ago, when, they, or maybe it was a little – when they played this Pittsburgh and they won that one game, it looked like they were going to lose. I said, Kevin, that's the – you know, that that was, I thought, a big game because the Penguins were kind of catching them. And then, and then right now, the Penguins, I think, are the third seed, if I'm not mistaken. They've passed Boston. Yeah, they have. Um, Boston's in trouble a little bit. Although they went and got Taylor Hall, which yeah. will help them. But all they got to do is finish fourth, and, they'll you know, they'll, they'll play the Caps or the Isles or whatever. I mean, look. I don't think the, – the, the, the Flyers have issues that go well beyond the goalie, but the goalie didn't help them this year, obviously, because he's playing horrible. 
He's like Carson Wentz. He's like the Carson Wentz of the NHL. Really. He's like the worst goalie in the league, right? Right. Okay, well, Carson was the worst quarterback. Wow. I mean, the, the Flyers have so many guys. Like, they, 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 they probably tried to get rid of Voracek and could. They, I'm sure that Fletcher was asking around. And probably what you'll see in the offseason is they will they will make some moves. You know, and they're going to start bringing some of these guys up from the, from the farm that, that, you know, probably is more the future than the guys who are here are the future. Um, yeah, hey, look, it, it's, you know, I don't think anybody thought they were going, they're going to win a Stanley cup this year, but I thought we figured they'd probably at least get in the playoffs and maybe win a series. Well, we should I point, mean, we should point this, uh, I'll, I'll play this audio. This is uh Keith Jones. Um, and hopefully this works, uh, cause I'm doing it on the fly. Keith Jones talking about it last night on flyers post game live on NBC sports, Philadelphia. Right. When, when you lose by huge margins against teams that you're battling for a playoff spot with and you take yourselves completely out of the playoff race, basically. And that happened over the last six weeks. I mean, this is a team that demonstrated that they didn't want it as bad as their opponents and have put themselves in a position and put their general manager in a position where he couldn't go out and add to the nucleus of the team right now. It's too big of a deal that he has to make. It's not a simple... Uh, add a player at the deadline and fix this thing. This is a, a a team that's in need of a major makeover, and it's going to be a busy off season for Chuck Fletcher. This is not something you fix overnight. This is not something you fix in a week, and this is something that I don't think any of us saw coming with before the uh, drop of the puck on opening night. This uh, season has turned into a disaster right now. Well, and that and that I think is a. I mean, look, Jonesy. Jonesy lays it out. I mean, I think this is a long-term issue for them. Uh, but again, how did they go from what they were not that long ago with the same cast of characters to this? I, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna speculate, and it's speculation. I, I I think one of the things that has to be done is they need a change, and it's not a change in coaching. You know, coaching is the easy crutch in all this. Uh, I think sometimes it, it, it's chemistry, and it's not meaning that like it's not mean that everybody in in your room is a bad guy or whatever. You know, sometimes people when you talk about chemistry, that that's what it means. You know, that's the way they take it. Oh, it's a bad. No, it's not that. It's this mix just doesn't work. Um, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're without a, a, a vocal leader, maybe without a, um, maybe you're without, uh, just, a, a, an ingredient that's not there, you know, but this, why did it work last year? Um, why did it work the first 12 or 14 games of this year? That's what I don't get. Maybe, co- maybe COVID destroyed them. Maybe. I, I, I don't notice. And, and there's also and there's also a belief that you don't make rash moves because this is such a strange year with COVID. I'm with I'm I'm with you. I I, I agree with you and Jonesy. I I don't think make, making some they need a superstar, and how you get a superstar I don't know, because usually you have to finish as the worst team and get that you know whoever the guy du jour is. There's usually one guy a year who's like you know the big time guy coming out, but they don't have a superstar. Right. Boston has superstars. The, 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 the Pens have a superstar, even though they're, they're superstars older. Uh, the the, the uh, Washingtons obviously have a couple superstars. Who's older, um, but s- still productive. Yeah, and the Pens have 
Yeah, if, if you look the, at the, the Pens have Malkin, the Pens have Malkin and Crosby. Um, it, you you look Boston at Boston has three guys. Yeah, with Marshawn uh, and Bergeron and 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 Pasternak. Yeah. Um, and and you know they have Oshie and, and Ovechkin at least on Washington. And Backstrom. I'm just saying is if Drew is your superstar, and I'm not sure he, but who is their superstar? Like who is their best player? And if I said to you, Kevin, tell me who their best player is. Who would it be? Sean Couturier. Okay, and what is he? A good defensive forward. There you go. You, there, there you go. And there's nothing wrong with that. A really good defensive forward. I mean, like, you yeah. know. But, but that doesn't win you. When oh, you got to put a, a fucking in net somewhere in game five of a playoff series, you know, you need Pasternak. You need Bergeron. You need Crosby well, doing I, something. Mike, and part of their it. problem is that they thought Provorov was a uh, was a top line defenseman. He probably is a yeah. number two. Uh, I know. I mean, and you thought your and you thought your goalie was going to be one of the best goalies in the league. But I'm I not ready. It. I'm not ready to give up on the goalie. I, you know, oh, no, 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 no. He's 22. No, no, no. But they thought he was going to be one of the best goalies in the league this year. That's whatever. Yeah. Maybe not the best, but you know, in the in the conversation, they throw the a lot five, of pressure six, on. They throw a lot of pressure on a 22 year old. And well, hey, look, but he played well last year, so you know, uh, you know, other teams have twenty-two-year-old guys who play really well. Yeah, you know, and it, Carter Hart's so played at a national level for Canada, and he's played. I mean, a, he's played in juniors. I, I get it, but I think also the, the 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 basic point I'm saying is one: the GM didn't have a great year. I mean, he never replaced Niskin, and he never upgraded the roster. They're counting a lot on the Kevin Heases of the world. They've, they yeah, but, need- but these are guys that gave them stuff last year. And that's, I mean, if you look at last year's team, where they got the contributions from, oh, yeah. it was guys like the guys you're mentioning who aren't doing it anymore. And, and I'm just saying, how do you go? The coach is the same coach. You know, he's one of the, you know, eighth in the NHL history, whatever. If for some reason, and maybe it was the COVID, maybe it was the two weeks they were off and then they didn't practice for like another two weeks or whatever it was, maybe that, but for whatever reason, guys who were making big contributions to their team last year aren't doing it this year. It's and not, you it, know when you couple that with the goalie, and when you couple that with Niskanen not being there, and Provorov not maybe, yeah, it, with all these things, it's not one thing. No, you know, Jonesy's right. It's, I mean, it's it's many things. And, and, and what I would also say is, you know, when you when you Go through a you know it's not losing to the Penguins or the Bruins or, or or the Capitals that should get you upset. I mean it happens. I mean you know it's that's lo- my line. Yeah, but yeah, it's true. But it's losing by five goals. It's the blowout losses that have happened, and losing Kevin. three games to the Buffalo Sabers is just not acceptable. It just well, they shut them out. They shut them out twice too. So, um, Kevin, they've lost. I read this in, um, I guess, Sam's story. I think it was Sam's story. Seven games this year. Seven. They've lost by five or more goals. Yeah, it's not. That is impossible. Yeah. That's impossible. You know, I can understand if you lose two or three games, you get blown out for whatever reason. You know, that happens too. But they just, I I think what you played, the, the cut you played from Jonesy, Pretty much was summed it up, um, you know. Uh, yeah, it's but now where do you go from here? 
Yeah. You know, that's the question is because you had all this hope, and obviously this group is not going to be back next year intact. It's not. I mean, you know, but who goes, who stays, who do you bring up um, from the from the miners? Who do you trade for? Uh, you know, do you try to make some blockbuster trade where you get one of these? You know, I, I've heard there's a couple of good NHL players who kind of disgruntled on their teams right now, you know. And I heard Jason talking about him. And Jay, you know, the one guy said, give me this guy. And Jason's like, that guy hasn't scored a point in 22 games. <laughs> I'm like, well, gee, okay, whatever. I mean, it's it, yeah, it's up to the fate. Look, it's Fletcher's job. Fix it. Yeah. And then it's Vigneault's job. To make Here's it work. What you got. Make them play better. Now, I, you know, I mean, next year, what would a division look like next year? They would depend. Well, they'll on, go. They'll go back to the old Metropolitan at that point. So, who's in their division in the Metropolitan? Pittsburgh. It's, uh, it's not Washington, right? No, Washington. Washington's in their division. I think Washington's in their division. Well, so the only team that's in the division that won't be is Boston. Boston and Buffalo. Okay, so basically, we're making this big deal about their division, and the only difference is Boston's in it. Well, yeah. Plus, there's going to be wild cards. You, you get a wild card in. I got. I got you. I got. You, I mean, I got you know, you. it's not going to be this. It's not going to be as formula. Uh, I got you. Washington, Pittsburgh, Carolina comes back in it. Islanders, yeah. Columbus, Devils, Rangers. Yeah. And the funny thing is, this is because I, you know, our good friend Dean Kennefick from Villanova, big Pittsburgh fan, because that's where he's from, and he told me this was the year he thought the Penguins were going to take a step back. Yeah. Because they were getting older. They kind of had to change their team around a little bit. And they they look like they're playing pretty well. And Boston's Boston's getting older. I mean, Boston's – and they come – I mean, they went to the uh, – They went to the finals two years ago. And they had right, the best that, record in the league last year before – Right, right. Yeah. Uh, before the shutdown. And, yeah. and, I mean, Washington's getting older. Yeah, I mean, Ovechkin still is Ovechkin, but – by the way, He's 35 years old. By the way, we're talking about like, you know, we mentioned Carolina comes in. Carolina's leading the central right now over, over I know, Tampa. I know. I mean, I so know. I know. I mean, they're this is gonna be it's gonna be dicey for them. They really have to they they better be careful. They better be careful because they could end up in that abyss for a long time. And, and one thing, and I haven't talked to you since I was down there. I was down there on Saturday for the for uh, AP. The one thing I noticed. And it's weird, by the way, attending a game, and we'll, we'll wrap it up on this. It's weird. It was weird attending that game compared to the Phillies. The Phillies felt like normal. Mm-hmm. Um, being at the Flyers the other day was weird because, one, they're stand, still using a ton of canned audio. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just the, you know, the background noise. You know, the, 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 and I can only imagine what it was like when there was nobody in the building. And two... Yeah. Wells Fargo Center has a thing that says, you know, please sit here for every seat that's available. Right. And we've all wondered, like, oh, you know, people are going to be right. Yeah. There were a ton of seats that went unfilled at Wells Fargo yeah. Center on Saturday. Well, so, some people either, like, to be honest with you, I have a friend who asked me if I wanted to go to a Phillies game on, um, I think it's like May 5th. They're playing the Brewers. It's a Wednesday night. Right. And I told him, I said, look, I, I might. I mean, and that's an outdoor thing. And and I'm not saying, like, if you said to me, hey, Mike, I got two tickets to the Sixers or I got two tickets to the Flyers. I've had my shots. Mm-hmm. So Same I don't here. think I would be adverse to going. I might wear a mask. Maybe I, I don't know what I would do. But I wouldn't be adverse to necessarily going to a game. But, you know, a lot of people might look at it and say they stink. 
Yeah. Like, why, why, you know, why do I go? Now, the one thing I will say from listening to people like Jason, it seems to me like they have some good players, like who are kind of ready to. In fact, he says we may see some of them before this year's over. You could. Um, but I don't know. You know, we can say they're good. Right. They still have to come up here and be good. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of this, if Carter Hart two years from now, I don't know if he can do it in a year, but if two years, if he's back to being Carter Hart, then well, be... that solves a lot of the problems. Yeah. I, but, you know? yeah. And I should point out the one thing I've observed, I'm not sure I brought this up last week when we talked about um, the Phillies experience. One thing I noticed at Phillies games, less roaming around. People go to their seats, people have their food. Yeah. Right. But n- nobody's standing on Ashburn Alley. Nobody, you know, it, it's well. How do you get? How do you get your food, Kevin? Do you go to a? a no, you still store? go to a concession. All the concessions are still open, but you okay. can't eat. You have to eat your food at your seat now. Okay, okay. Well, that makes sense. At your pod, and and yeah, by the sense. way, it, you you have to pay in credit card. You there's no oh, cash. Right, right, right. Okay. There's yeah. no cash, and uh, look, it, you're right. Outdoors compared to indoors is a big deal. And um, right. I think people are going to feel more comfortable going out. Well, it was interesting when you asked Zach about, you know, what he sees for the season with, you know, we may not, and I know some States will be different, right? I'm sure Texas stadium is planning on, and Goodell has already come out and said, we're going to play in front of full Tampa. crowds. And then maybe yeah. the Eagles will, I don't know this, but maybe in September, they'll only have 35,000 there, you know, or which is still better than having none. I, I, I get all that, but, at some point, you would think, and I know there's going to be speed bumps along the way, and mm-hmm. but at some point, you would think that by the middle of the summer, which is only three months from now, yeah, you know that we'll be we'll be getting more towards normal. And I don't know what that means in terms of a Phillies game. Maybe it means ten thousand. Maybe it means twelve thousand. Or I, I don't know this, but I think people are using common sense. And they're, you know, nobody wants to get sick. No. And if that means paying with a credit card and not and going back to your seat to eat your food, you know, I could go to a game. I mean, again, I'm not the normal fan, probably, but if I went to a game with you and I didn't eat at all, I'd probably, you know, maybe I w- might want to get a soda or something or, so, or, you know, to drink, but that wouldn't kill me. Like, you know, I mean, I usually do get something when I go, and, you know, God, take me to a dollar hot dog night. I mean, you know, but um, I'll go to – I like Bulls barbecue. You know, I'll, I'll go get something. But it's not like I don't have to. I'm there for the game. Yeah. You know, I want to go watch a game with you. Hope it's a good game. Hope we enjoy ourselves. And, you know, um, and I think fans will – you know, I mean, I think it's good for the players to have fans back in there. Yeah. And, I think it means something to them. And, and I, I got to admit, Mike, like, uh, it, it's been so nice to be back in the buildings – and sure, uh, you know, you see the well, pro- what, Kevin, what was the press box like? Well, it's funny you mentioned that for the hockey or for, for baseball for, for either for both uh, baseball. It's spread out, um, you know, the, it's the, it, in an area that may usually have six seats. There's three. Do you um, go to the cafeteria? Yeah, it's box lunches as opposed to. Um, OK, uh, is there as much camaraderie with the writers? Because I know a big deal about going to a Phillies game. The few times I did with you guys. It was all about our bullshitting. You know, we'd be sitting there doing our jobs, 
but you know, I'd come over to talk to you, then I'd go over I mean, to talk to somebody else, and then I'd go over to talk to somebody else. There's still I guess there's not as much of that. There's right? still a level of that, uh, but I mean, and look, I'm not there every day, so I, I don't have sure. that same sure. Uh, you know, I I don't have that same connection with everybody as I would normally right. have. Right. But um. But yeah, I mean, it, it it's it's there. Um, I would say personally, the 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 hockey experience was weird. Uh, because we're not in our normal press box. Um, they have, that's the one way way up, right? Yeah. What they've done is instead of doing it on the one side, if I'll give you for people on the outside, um. Or, or, or people who aren't in the press. Normally, we would sit right where the cameras would be. If you look at um, up at the top of the building, if you ever see where Jonesy and JJ are doing like their openings, and they're at the top of the building on that side of the ice, which is the same side that the cameras are. So you're looking at the Flyers logo as it appears at center ice. We're now on the opposite side. In uh, what they what? They Why have, is that? Uh, because more room to spread out. Oh, okay. I got um, you. Okay. We're sure. sitting on a. We're sitting basically, and if if you were there last year, they have redone the whole balcony level, and put okay. like individual seats down, and so we're basically sitting in these individual seats, and they give us a TV tray to put our laptops down on to write. And you have and to is that where you do your zooms after the game? Yes. Yeah, you're going to interview guys on Zoom. Okay. Yeah, and there, there's a little lounge in the back that you could go sit at with like you know couches and all that if you want to feel more comfortable but they can't have soda machines right like we used to because you can't do that right now or can they yeah they they don't have that uh they did they did have a concession stand open up there that right people you know you could get water or or food or whatever but you know me i drink four diet cokes during a game so yeah i actually but i i also have brought my own stuff so I got you Um, but i know that that, that, you know if you go into mcdonald's now you know you can't use the, the soda dispenser because I'm surprised they you can use I, it at Wawa. It's weird. I think Burger King actually lets you. Wawa it's, does too. Yeah, so maybe it's just a McDonald's thing. Maybe. I, I don't, you know. And it's weird. There's some restaurants that are still not letting people in the building. Like if I you know. go to Chick-fil-A at Ben Salem. I know. They, 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 it's all drive through There's no. Well, the one up on the boulevard is, is closed for renovations. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be fascinating to see what, what goes on here. Um, yeah, I, I was going to ask you something. And I, I, I got I forgot. What the hell I was going to, when you were talking about the setup and everything, and I just oh yeah, people who, who from another generation obviously. I, how many games did you get to cover at the Spectrum, Kevin? Were you did you I cover, get to do? Spectrum I cover games? very very little. I cover more basketball the, the, at the Spectrum than the, the than hockey. Okay, well that's good. No, but basketball people have to understand for and it was a different world that, but now like you know Kevin's saying he's up on the, he's up all the way at the roof to watch a Flyers game basically mm-hmm. because. They're not they're going to give away those seats. Yeah. But when we were at the, the Spectrum had the best press place, one of the best on the planet. You were right at the back of the first level. First level. We were right at center court. And it was just great. Like every time you watched the game there, you you felt, you know, like you were right on top of it. And I know now at, at the at the, the whatever it's called, is it first union? I got lose well, track. Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo. Okay. And we have pretty good seats, but they're behind the basket. Like if we go to a Villanova game, yeah, um, you know, I, but, I, I um, would say I would say, and and they've even switched that to Mike the other end of the floor uh, for the Villanova. Oh, okay, I didn't uh, realize that. Okay, but uh, like one of the things with Wells Fargo, the problem is that you also you also lose track of in basketball, you lose track of the ball easy. 
uh, with yeah. fans standing oh, sure. up, crossing you, everything. Um, I just never understood, Kevin, how you guys, because I was up there a couple times, how you could watch a hockey game and write about it from that far up. It's easy. I, I, it is. It's way easier. You can see play development. You can okay. see. No, that's fine then. Okay. Uh, I'm used to hockey up up high. I am. Okay. Um, I got you. I, and this is maybe my own training because most of the time my dad would get tickets for flyers. We would end up in the third level. Sure, sure. Uh, at you. the spectrum. Uh, so I just yeah. kind of got used to it over the years. Yeah. But, I just liked in basketball when we at places like at McGonagall Hall and even at the New Temple place for a long time at Villanova. Court we side. were right on the court, man. Yeah. We were we were fifty yard line. <laughs> There's here's Mike's seat. You know, okay, man. Wow. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. And I just got used to that. I guess um, I, I hate it. And, and and this is getting way in the weeds, but um, the worst press boxes that I ever sat in were in baseball, and it was at Nationals Park, and at PNC, and more so Nationals Park um, because we're we're on the roof. And for baseball wow. on the roof is awful. Well, I remember I covered a Boston Bruins game fly, at, at the old garden. The, the, and we were way, we were all the way up in the rafters. I mean, literally mm-hmm. in, in the, the rafters. rafters, which is what Wells uh, Fargo is. Yeah. But of course the best seat, I, I, I went to one Flyers game as a fan where I was up against the glass yeah. right behind the Montreal bench. What an experience that was in 1976. Um, but the best seat ever of any is the Palestra. Our old seats at the Palestra, yeah. right behind the be bench, right next to Pete, right next to Pete Carrill, right, right next to Roy Williams, right, the right next to John Chaney, yep. right next to Phil Martelli. On and on and on and, and on. And able on. to hear every awesome. word of a huddle. A- yeah, the only every- person I never saw was Dunf because Dunf was always down. We, we were opposite the Penn side. We right. were always on the visitor side. Right. Um, so unless I covered Dunf as a visitor, which, you know, I get, you know, when he went back at, from Temple, from Temple, yeah, the first game he went back when Zoller beat him with the free, three free throws at the end. Yep. Uh, yeah. I guess we would have been right next to Dunf, but man, but, you, you can't as a writer and a fan, you can't make up those experiences. No. I mean, when Petey Carroll would turn around and look at you yeah, and, and make some kind of face or, you know, what are they doing to me? <laughs> Pete, I'm not the ref, man. Go, go talk to the ref. <laughs> um, but no, I, I, you know, it, it, it's one thing like Boston's on the roof at, 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 at Fenway Park. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. Fen, uh, Fenway's on the roof. Wrigley's on the roof. but And Wrigley's tough because Wrigley has no elevator to get you down. Oh, oh geez, So you have to walk down the ramps. Uh, now there's an elevator man. at the end, but you have to walk all the way down to the end to get the elevator down and then walk around the ballpark as opposed to most places where, yeah, the elevator takes you right to the, to the ground floor. The bottom line, Kevin is that nobody cares about us, oh, which no. is fine, nor should they. I mean, they should try to make it so we can do our jobs. That's the only thing they owe us. And when you can put people in seats that we would take up, that they can charge lots of money for. On, I think that's I, what we I see. totally understand why they do it, and I might not like it necessarily. And I'll give but, the I'll give the Phillies a lot of credit because the Phillies have resisted the temptation that some other teams, the White Sox yeah. are one, the Angels are another, that 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 area would be that area behind home plate would be boxes right. and the press would be oh, sure. all the way down. I I, I, I give know, the, I give the Phillies a lot Joe of credit. Quinch. 
Joe Giuliano was the president of the Philadelphia Sports Writers when they were building um, well, what the hell were uh, they Citizens Bank Park in, in the link? No, no, no. Because Joe was the president before that. He was president before me. But at some point, Joe was the guy who had to go in and argue. They were going to reconfigure where they put the um, the seats or something. And, you know, they wanted to move seats and, and, and yeah. basically – and I always thought where we sat at the vet was pretty good. You know, you know, I never had a problem with that. I think the new the new press box is pretty good. But you're right, Kevin. I mean, if the Phillies really wanted to, they could have put you down the right field line. Sure. You know, because other teams do. Yeah. Um. You know. But. But hey. All right. So we're back next Wednesday. Uh, we're on a once a week schedule. Um, we'll talk a little more. I'm sure we'll look a little bit at the draft next week. Uh, and obviously the Phillies will be. Phillies will be wrapping up a series in this time next week, Mike, with Gabe Kapler, his return to Philadelphia will be complete. There you go. So I'm I'm going to I'll ask you next week. I'll put a gun to your head. Mm-hmm. Eagles, screw the pickup and make a good pick. <laughs> it's a yes or no. You, you, they, they screw the pickup or they make a good pick. Oh, you know well where I'm going to fall. I'm just saying, but that's where that's. I mean, think about that. And look, it, it, there was a stat out. From 2000, this is a great stat. From 2008 or nine, I think it might have been nine to 2018, of all the quarterbacks who were taken in the top five of the draft, mm-hmm. only one is still with his original team. Yeah, think about that. It's it's Mayfield of Cleveland. Okay, so all these people were talking about all these quarterbacks who are going to all. But if I take the top 12 players in any draft. Four, three or four of them are going to turn out not to be good. Yeah, that's just the the, the the odds. So I'm supposed to think the Eagles, with what they've done lately, you know, are going to buck the odds that the guy who gets taken two picks after them, you know, won't be better. And like you said, you know, you got Dallas picking in front of you, the Giants picking in front of you. Um, I mean, you can't do anything about who they take. That's that's just the way it is. But man, it, it's I, I'm going to be sitting there doing that draft. I swear to God, uh, with Greeny doing the draft, yeah. and I'm I'm going to be sitting there cringing when it gets to 12 because they're going to come up and Mel Kuyper's going to say, yeah, there's going to be three or four good players there. There's going to be a lineman. There's going to be a defensive back. There's going to be maybe a wide receiver, maybe not. There's going to be a defensive player like a like you said, like a Parsons, and they're going to have to make that choice. Yeah. You know, which way we go in here. Um, and I just don't have any confidence in it that they're going to make the right choice. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, um, I've become. Um, You're jaded. That's a good word. That's 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 a good word. And by the way, you I know? should point out before we go. Today marks 100 days out before the Tokyo Olympics get underway. Yeah, and no fans apparently. Are go- like almost no fans are going to be there. Nope. I think. No, and there's talk. There's talk about media organizations not being uh, from outside, not being allowed yeah. in. So, it's a joke. Yeah. It's a, but again, they're going to go. Th- there's people in Japan who don't want them to hold this. No, they want them to either postpone it a year or just cancel them all together. But again, there's like a trillions of dollars at stake. Yeah. So, you know, and by the way, my birthday's Friday. So in case Happy anybody b- wants to send me something, Jack in the Box tacos. Oh God! Now I it, nah, see. I mean. It's a good thing there isn't a jack-in-the-box somewhere in Northeast Philly because I'd be there two or three <laughs> times a week. But then it would lose its charm. It, it, would, it would lose its... Oh, um, it, will. it would. It would. It's, uh, you know, and, and that's how I felt about... What was the play? When um, 
the one place opened up on Street Road, and I was like, wow. The, the place where you drive in, it's like a drive. Uh, oh, Sonic? Sonic. I was all excited because we used to go to them when we were in the South, like right. for Augusta and stuff like that. The Sonic opened, and I went to the Sonic like once every six months. Yeah. I'm like, but, but it, it seemed like a good idea. It did. <laughs> I don't know. The hell do I know? Christ. So, uh, all right, Michael. Be good. All right. Our thanks to Zach Berman for joining us. Our thanks to you for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. This has been We're Gonna Be. Well, you went uptown riding in your limousine with your fine park.